Do you want your middle school girl to grow into a strong, confident, and resilient young adult? So do I. The only thing is, middle school's hard for both kids and parents. Welcome to the Raising Middle School Girls podcast. I'm Janice Scholl, and I'm just a regular parent on a mission to uncover the best tips and advice for raising middle school girls. Hey there, parents. Your middle schooler is learning a lot at school, but are they learning how to make good decisions? In this episode, I'm talking with Steve Perlman about the importance of critical thinking education. Steve is the founder of the Critical Thinking Institute. He's trained thousands of educators in teaching critical thinking and is a sought-after international consultant and keynote speaker. Did you know that our kids' critical thinking skills have a greater impact on their future success than intelligence? I didn't. Steve talks to me about what critical thinking is, how it impacts our ability to succeed regardless of our path in life, the shift needed to make our education system focused on critical thinking, and so much more. Hi, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. You know, this is a new topic for us on the podcast. We've talked a lot about our emotional well-being and communication and academic stress with our kids, but we haven't talked about critical thinking for our kids and what they're learning in the middle school ages. I want to just start off by understanding from your perspective, because you've spent decades teaching critical thinking, what is your definition of critical thinking? How should we be looking at what we're talking about today? It's a great question, and it's difficult to define. One of the big challenges with teaching critical thinking is that just about anything that your audience members might think would be included in critical thinking probably is, in a respect, included in critical thinking, right? It's analytical, it's objective, it's not emotional, it's solving problems, it's making just all these things, the list goes on and on and on and on. So I like to define it a little bit differently from everybody else. The way I look at it is like this, and what our research supports is as follows. Everyone thinks. All of our brains are thinking all the time. Now, as we all know, and especially those of us who are parents, that doesn't mean we're always making the best decisions. It doesn't mean that we're always coming to the best ideas. It doesn't mean we're always thinking things through well, because there are things in our brain that make us think well, and there are things in our brain that actually interfere with good thinking. And those are survivalist things to keep us alive, but they don't necessarily help us think through things very well. Critical thinking is the difference between thinking is mastering what our brain functions do. So as to maximize the good things that our brains do and minimize the negative things that our brains do. So as to be able to come to the best ideas or solve problems best. So it's really control over our brains instead of having our brains control us. That's really interesting. And I think a lot of us think of critical thinking as problem solving. But what you're talking about is really understanding how we process and kind of our own internal brain barriers to processing efficiently, if you will, to get to a good end result. Yeah. As I like to describe it, I think of it like this. So um, just like everybody in the world can think, just about everybody in the world can run, you know, with limited exception. We're all born with that ability. That doesn't mean, however, that we're all the fastest. Oh, and it doesn't mean that if we train running, we couldn't be better at it, right? So thinking is the same way. We're all, everyone has some innate ability to think and we all do it. Does that mean that we really know what's involved when we're doing it? Do we know how to train it so that we do it better? And that's what critical thinking is. It's the capacity to train our brains to actually think better. And, and that means literally building wiring in our brains that other people wouldn't have because we're always building wiring in our brains. It's just a question of what are we building that wiring for? So we could build it for good thinking habits or we can build it for poor thinking habits. We're building it either way. So let's learn what our brains do and let's learn how to wire them well for life for good thinking habits. And I think with the way you're describing it, we as parents can understand that this is important. But can you give us an understanding of when we teach our kids critical thinking, how it impacts them, you know, as a person in successful career paths and in education? 
Sure. So critical thinking affects all areas of life. So anywhere we're thinking, critical thinking would help us uh, improve our lives in that respect. There's been some fascinating research done on this. They actually looked at people's decisions throughout their lives, and they, and they did this and also controlled for intelligence. So when they controlled for intelligence, what they found was that critical thinking skills are a bigger factor in the decisions we make in life than raw intelligence. And what that means is so important for all of us who are parents. We might have very, very bright children, but the fact that they are bright does not mean that they necessarily possess critical thinking skills, which are distinct from intelligence. It can be, have to be learned. And sometimes we pick them up along the way and sometimes we don't. Usually it's a lifelong process, right? But we can teach them and accelerate that process. And people with good critical thinking skills are actually the ones who go on to make the best life decisions. We also know that the vast majority of CEOs say that your critical thinking skills are more important than your college major when they're considering hiring you for a position. And that obviously has some limits. No one's going to hire you to be a doctor unless you have a degree in you know, medicine and so forth. But uh, short of that, right, um, CEOs are looking for clamoring for critical thinking skills. And in terms of education, we know that the ability to think critically not only elevates grades, which is great, but actually elevates the meaningfulness of education, how much we want to learn and how much we engage learning, not just in school, but therefore when we get out of school. Ah, that's really interesting. And I feel like at, at the middle school age, we have lost a little bit of the fun of education. You know, kids don't go to school to socialize anymore and get a lot of other benefits from it's really hard academics. So making sure that our kids keep and continue to develop a love of learning, you're saying that alone could be benefited by critical thinking as well. So much because, and this is amazing. The brain is structured so that it actually enjoys thinking. When we think, when we solve a problem, we get a release of neurotransmitters that are very positive for us. And those neurotransmitters do two things primarily. First thing they do is they give us pleasure. The second thing they do is they actually tell our brain to build more wiring to do that thing again. Okay? So thinking is actually a pleasurable process if you've ever um, let's say you could never remember the name of, a, of a, a celebrity that you're trying to think of. Who's that guy who's on that show? And you're trying to think of that name. And, it, and you feel yourself get stressed out and upset about that when that's happening, right? And then when you remember it, you go, oh, that's so great, right? I feel so much better now to remember that name. That's literally your brain releasing those neurotransmitters. First, negative ones around the stress of not being able to resolve that. And then positive ones when you're able to think through things. So when we learn to think through our ideas in education, in school, and wherever we are, it's pleasurable for us. And unfortunately, here's the downside to that. What they found is that kids typically display the least amount of brain activity while in classes at schools. And at that time, the brain is experiencing great stress because the brain doesn't like boredom. So when the brain's turned down like that, it's actually very stressful for the brain. If we can teach kids, and we do, how to think more about what they're engaging in that classroom, whether or not they're being encouraged to do so curricularly, then they can get more enjoyment out of that process and be deeply engaged. Well, you know, my next question for you is going to be about how our school system is doing at teaching critical thinking, which could or could not be related to what you just said. But but I think what also you just said was that even if our kids are bored with the content of what they're learning at school, teaching them critical thinking could enhance their ability to to enjoy it and to continue to think and develop despite the boredom. Absolutely. If they can find meaningful connections between things, if they can learn how to think about things more deeply for themselves, regardless of whether or not it's being taught that way, then they'll enjoy it more. They'll also re remember it longer. They'll also connect it to other things in their lives and take more from it overall. This still doesn't mean I can't promise you your kids are going to love every subject that they do in every class they take, even if they're great critical thinkers. They're just not. But we can get a lot more out of it that way. And certainly yeah. we want to move towards that. Yeah. And I just want to go back to something you said because like it was really eye-opening for me 
to hear that if you control for IQ, for intelligence, that critical thinking has a bigger impact. That I think is really important for parents to hear because I feel like as a parent, you know, we want our kids to be healthy and we want our kids to be well adjusted and confident, but we also want our kids to be smart. Like we can't help it. It's the pressure of our society. And we think that IQ and smarts, book smarts, are the path to success. But what you're telling us is that's not it. And that this stuff is learnable. That's right. I think we all know people in our lives, and I think we can all see this obviously in our children at times, who are very smart, but nevertheless are not making the best decisions. We all know people like that. We've all done that ourselves, even if we feel ourselves to be intelligent. I look at my own son. I like to think he's a very bright young man. Certainly, he doesn't always make the best decisions. No one does. Why? Because intelligence alone isn't enough. Because intelligence is not mastering control over what our brains do when they think. And therefore, those bad thinking habits can creep in to override the good thinking habits. All of our brains think emotionally before they think intellectually. And so if we don't learn to control that, just one thing, for example, and no one can control it perfectly, but we can all do better, right? And we can teach kids to do this. Then just the emotional responses that they have to things can be very negative to good outcomes because we're not making decisions based on reason. We're making decisions based on baser instincts at that point which might be like groupthink, following what our peers do, listening to our friends when they have bad ideas and so on and so forth, right? Instead of doing the things that we know are actually better. And you've certainly experienced this with your kids, right? Where you've said to them, you know better than that. You know not to do X or you know to do X. Why did you do Y? And they say, I don't know why I did that. And they don't really know because they were thinking emotionally or they're thinking through other biases and mechanisms that aren't positive instead of controlling for those and thinking more rationally. And that's what we want to help kids do. Our kids are the same age. And I want to ask you about this, this concept that, you know, our children's brains aren't done developing until they're 25. We've all heard this, right? So can we teach kids critical thinking when they don't fully have the capacity yet to to really process things the way we do with an adult brain. Sure. What better time to start developing brains to think critically than when they are still forming the most? Now, our brains, you're set, what you said is correct. Our brains fully develop in terms of all their major parts around the age of 25, especially the prefrontal cortexes is where we do our reasoning. Okay, and that's the one of the last parts to fully develop. However, it's also true that our brains wire themselves throughout their lives. We're constantly rewiring our brains. It's just that the major parts haven't been developed, but we're always making new neural pathways. But let me tell you something even more interesting. So much research has been done on babies and young kids and their capacity to think, and it's astounding how smart they are. They've tested babies who were just born, so literally still in the hospital, just born right from mom out in the hospital. And what they've done is they've done a test on them where they've shown them an iPad and either iPad were a certain number of dots. Okay, so let's say there were 16 dots. And then they played a number of beeps, repeated tones for the kids. And the tones either matched the number of dots, so they played 16 tones for the 16 dots, or they didn't match the number of dots. Newborn babies could tell the difference about whether or not the tones matched the dots or did not match the dots. Newborn babies whose eyes were barely open. Now, there had to be enough of a differential. They couldn't tell 15 beeps from 16 dots, okay? But they could tell 11 beeps from 16 dots. And so right from out of the womb, we are doing that thing that humans do most, which has made us survive, which is think. And the research from just even as they get slightly older from there is actually just as incredible. I just can't go into all of it now. But nevertheless, we're thinking from the start. And if our brains are still forming from the very beginning, why don't we seize those opportunities earlier on to start building good habits and wiring the brains properly? And I'll be honest with you, having worked with young kids and having worked with older kids and having worked with adults, 
the older people get, the harder it is to teach them critical thinking skills because their brains are already wired for other habits more. They're you know, still very smart people, very good intentioned people, but their brains are wired the other way. So it's harder to bring them back around out of their habits. Let's build them from the beginning, which is one of the reasons why we have programming for kids. And it's so important, I think, to start reaching with kids because that's how we're going to change the world. That's incredible, actually. I, I mean, and the fact that we we underestimate kids, I think, and their capacity to grow and learn, despite the fact that we know that they're malleable and that their brains are learning. We always think as adults, well, we can manage this better than you can, but the reality is they can learn it better than we can. We we have knowledge, we have experience, but they have conditions are ripe, right? Right. I always say that if I could go back and learn at the rate that my son learned from the time he was born until the time he was four, if I or any, you know, any reasonably intelligent adult, we'd cure cancer the next day, you know, uh, because because what he was able to do and what all kids do between zero and four was so astounding as to what was acquired. It, I just couldn't even believe it in watching it the first time, really, for myself, start to finish that developmental process, you know, just from movement to walking to acquiring language to all those things. Think about how much development there was. Well, and that continues on uh, as they go into teenagers and adolescents. So for all this rapid development, let's let's seize upon that and take the opportunity to make it positive and set them up for life. Yeah, absolutely. So what are we doing to set them up? I want to talk about our, our school system and how well are we doing in our school system in the U.S. at teaching critical thinking? Well, the unfortunate answer is we're not. I'm not saying that out of personal opinion. The research on this is fairly compelling. And we're talking about a lot of studies that have been done. Uh, just recently, the American Association of Colleges and Universities came out with a study that found that uh, for college students, students already in college, not entering college, uh, the percentage who showed proficiency in critical thinking was 5%. Oh my gosh. Yes. Now, the problem is that there are a lot of things that educators think they're doing to teach critical thinking. But I want to express the difference here. And this is where the big error, the big gap is happening in our educational system. And it's happening across the educational system, just about everywhere. I don't care if your kids are in private school or public school or what have you. And I also want to note and footnote this right up front by saying, support your educators. I've worked with thousands of educators. They're all working very hard and they're trying to do their best for your kids. They're in a system that is built on some of the wrong premises, but that's not their fault. So, so let's not blame educators for this. Absolutely. Okay. But that said, here's the problem. There's a difference between doing something that may provoke a student to think and teaching them how to think. So if I give them an interesting text to read, they may think about that text. If we ask an interesting question in class, they may think about that question, okay? That's different than teaching them strategies, explicit strategies for understanding how their brain works, what it does when it thinks, and how to build upon those processes and think more complexly and engage things more richly, okay? And what happens is that most educators think that the methods they use to teach critical thinking, because most of them will say they do teach critical thinking, but the methods they're using are what are called immersion methods. Researchers call those immersion methods, which just we're putting people into an environment where they might think. They're having them write an essay, which is a thinking possibility opportunity, right? You could think while writing an essay. But immersion methods have not been shown by research to elevate critical thinking skills. So we have most people thinking that they're teaching critical thinking. They're not teaching critical thinking. They're just creating circumstances where thinking might occur. Not the same thing at all as teaching critical thinking. Then you have explicit critical thinking instruction, which is really talking about what is thinking, how does the brain work, and how do you think better? And I would ask you and ask all of your listeners, how many of you had that class in school? Because Absolutely not, right? No, no one has. No one has. And that's what we need if, for kids to learn is not just opportunities to think. They have opportunities to think everywhere they go in life all the time. We need ways to train them how to think and teach them how to think critically. As I say to a lot of educators, in fact, when I work with them, I, I say, I want you to think about this. 
you have a kid coming in to your classroom, uh, you know, as a first grade student, they're coming in with with challenges at home, you know, whatever, even if they're even a great family having a great life, right? They're just complex things going on at home about, you know, arguing about when to go to bed or whatever it is, right? And they're coming in with challenges with social friends and even what it is just a complex situation of playing in the sandbox and who gets the pail and who gets the shovel and why shouldn't I throw dirt on your face? All these things are happening, right? And then we put them in school and we try to teach them who is the first president of the United States. Well, look at the rich, complex thinking constructs that they're in their whole life. And then look what happens when we put them in school and we teach them a fact, which is very pale in comparison. It's simple. It's right. And it's almost insulting to their brains at that point because they're in the such rich other construct. So we do more thinking outside of school than we often do inside of school. But either way, we're not learning how to think. We're just trial and erroring our way through that process. And that works out okay for some. And it doesn't work okay out okay for a lot. But whatever it is, we know that half of Americans fail simple critical thinking tests. The next biggest percentage gets a D, and only a very small percentage combined gets a B or an A. So wow. we're, we're not in a great situation overall. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because what you're explaining to me kind of gives us an idea of how, how our kids are so overstressed because you're right. They are in a world that is all the colors of complex, right? We really have put our kids in a, in a very complicated world that is an adult world and we're not giving them the tools to actually navigate their outside of school life. Right. And so of course they would feel bored, many of them at school. And of course we have, you know, stressful challenges and emotional challenges outside of school. It like the way that you've described it just makes perfect sense to me. All of a sudden I I have this aha moment. Yeah, we are. Well, because we haven't been given, uh, which makes no sense if you think about it, right? The, The thing that we really should be giving every human being from the time they're born is an operating manual for their brains. So we teach them how to behave or what to do and so forth. We don't teach them how they're thinking things. What are their brains doing when they're thinking and how to start controlling that? Now, in part, that's because we just didn't know for most of human history. And it's not part of our culture to do that. Even just recently, these technologies are starting to emerge or these techniques are starting to emerge. They're very recent. Right. But isn't that the first thing we'd want all kids to have, right? Is there anything that would make them more successful or happy or find more meaning in their lives than the capacity to think well and make good decisions on their ways through it and solve all the problems that are coming in front of them and so on and so forth, right? And 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 that I say, by the way, for us as well, because our kids are going to face challenges and we're not going to be there for them. I didn't realize the pressure of this till I was a father myself. I really didn't realize the pressure on me. And I thought, my God, I have to make sure my son can survive and be successful without me. That's my main job. That is, yeah. that is parenting in a nutshell, right, is to become obsolete as a parent and have your kids be happy and healthy and successful, whatever successful is for them and so forth, right? Uh, and I realized, you know what? I, I, that's the biggest responsibility. I have to figure out how to do that. And that's actually why I took a lot of the teachings that I've been using for educators and executives and start to translate them for kids. It's actually because of my own son and what I realized that burden on me was to accomplish. You know, you're bringing it to the time and place where we're most able to take it in and then benefit it from it from a lifetime. Right. That's right. Now, I want to ask you, you kind of started to touch on this, but I think a lot of us parents and probably educators as well, because of our system, because of our structure, we believe that critical reasoning and critical thinking just kind of develop as kids mature when they're given the opportunity to think. So you're telling us that that's not how it works. How do you teach critical thinking to kids? Well, it's much more complex and much simpler than one might think all at the same time. (laughs) But really what we're doing is this. What scientists have identified are certain mechanisms in brain function that are part of everything that we all do when we think. And these are, and what we do is we make, uh, and there, there are a whole range of these things, okay, but we focus it on the ones that are most impactful. 
And we give people what are called, and we give kids what are called metacognitive awareness, which is a fancy way of saying they're able to be aware of what they're thinking when they're thinking it and why they're thinking when they're thinking and what their brain is doing when they're thinking. The metacognition is the big fancy term for that. Now, that sounds like it would be hard to do, except it's what our, all our brains are doing all the time anyway. So it's not so hard to understand why your knee flexes. It's not so hard to understand why your elbow bends. It's not hard to understand how you make you know, sounds with your vocal cords and so forth in basic, in basic ways, right? It's not so hard to understand certain things that your brain does once we point out to you when it's doing it. And kids understand this just as much as anybody else. It's no different for them to understand that all of a sudden they start to have an emotional reaction to something and how that's interfering with their ability to think and a simple technique that they can use to quell that emotional reaction to start to bring themselves back to a place where they can reason effectively. Kids can be aware of when they're having an emotional reaction just as much as adults can be aware of when we're having an emotional reaction. So there are lots of things like that that we just take everyone through a process of becoming aware of those things that our brains are doing. And then again, we identify the things that we want them to do and amplify those things and exercise those things. And we look at the things that we don't want our brains to do and we teach strategies for mitigating the way that the brains do that. I'll give you a very simple example that's used in schools. I tell this to educators all the time. So, you know, when we get stressed out, we actually start to suppress our capacity to reason, okay? Happens to everybody. It's a natural phenomenon in our brains. It's survivalist, okay? Because if there's something really impactful going on, it's probably not something from a survival perspective that we have time to sit around and think about. So our brain starts to shut down our thinking part and just react, okay? That's fair. Um, but so when your kids go into school and they have a test to take, what they found is that if they put kids in classroom, they have to take a test and they gave them five minutes to write about what was stressing them out about that test, whatever it was. You know, was it that you didn't study enough? You're tired. You don't, you don't care about the test. Whatever it is, write it down and talk about it for five minutes in a silent journal. And they had other kids just sit there and do nothing. The kids who expressed their stressors just wrote them down for five minutes before the test did two great steps better than the other kids on the test. Wow. Just such simple things like that, right? Now that's something any kid can do going into a test any day they're going into the test is maybe they won't have five full minutes, but they can take two minutes before that test and write down the thing that I'm most worried about test is as follows and so on and so forth, right? And now they just start to open up their thinking brain to be able to think better in the process of addressing that test. Little things like that make such a big difference. And what I like about this is that it's not something that has to be taught in the school day in a curriculum. That's something, and we're going to talk about your program and how you actually enable kids to learn this stuff, but but it doesn't have to be part of the math class. It can just be something that the student knows to do themselves as they're sitting down before the class gets started right. and kind of process that. It's it's really simple and actionable and compact. These are, yeah, and we break everything down into, and it's best when everything is broken down into simple little strategies that we take just a little bit at a time, right? And, and we know this because we if I can go in there and I could teach you the whole thing in a day, your brain's not going to have time to wire itself around those things. You'll learn some of the information in a day, but you won't be practiced at it, at all the individual parts of it. It's better when we take people through the individual parts, give them time in between to practice those little steps. And they're just, each one is a little nugget that just gets us further down the road and they build on the previous lessons and so forth. So in college students, we typically found that it takes, it would take, we start on day one, first semester, and, and at first their brains scramble and they can't get it at all. And it seems like they're never going to get it. It's usually about one month to six weeks, it all starts to click in. And that's, you know, that's really not that long. If you think about these are 18 year old kids, their brains have been wired a certain way their whole lives and they've been doing certain things a whole life. And then we give them about a month to six weeks of training twice a week to three times a week. And they're doing it, right? So if we take it a little bit at a time, it gives the brain time to do its thing, rework its ideas and so forth. Again, it takes longer with older people because we have more wiring doing other things. 
you know, this test example, I think, is a really relatable one. A couple other questions, scenarios, if you will, that I'm curious if this would help for. But does this help our kids with anxiety, the general anxiety? There's test anxiety, but there's a lot of stuff that's happening in middle school, social, um, the academic piece, the family piece. So many different things are stressing out and, and causing anxiety in our kids. But when they're able to think through these processes and and kind of unload some of that, does that help them as well? Absolutely. Now, of course, we want to be aware that there are certain, could be hormonal things or chemical mm -hmm. things going on that can be related to anxiety that critical thinking skills are simply not necessarily going to address for certain kids, right? And, and that's fine. It's a myth, by the way, that, that they have greater amount of hormone release when they're teenagers. What actually happens is when they're going through adolescence is the receptors to those hormones start to open up and change. So those hormones are already there, but now they're receiving them much harder than ever before, right? So the antenna was turned on all of a sudden, and now they're freaking out because of that. But anyway, um, yeah, it's all of this comes back to metacognitive strategies, right? Why are you so stressed out about this? What is your brain doing that's making you stressed out about this? What's a strategy we have or a strategy we've talked about to release that, that pressure that you're feeling, to release that anxiety so that you can go back to a place where you're feeling more reasoned, right? And so there are limitations to metacognitive awareness in terms of contending with anxiety disorders. Of course, I want to be clear about that. But for every kid who is... All the kids are going to have some anxieties, social anxieties, school anxieties, parent anxieties, all the anxieties are going to happen, right? We can do a lot to work with kids on that. And I, you know, I've done the same thing with my own son. I'm able to explain to him from a younger age. I say, you know, you're feeling really upset about this. This is what your brain's doing. Here's how we can change it a little bit. Try this. Try that. See which one starts working for you. And he still gets upset and he still gets, you know, anxiety sometimes. He, we all are going to but he can mitigate it better. And that's really what we're striving for. Yes. Now, if there, we're talking about what we can do outside as parents and, and through other channels, but if there was one thing we could do within our education system to improve the outcomes for our kids in critical thinking, what would it be in your opinion? That's a hard question. Uh, I think the educational system needs to make a shift in what it values. And that's where we are wrong. And we have been wrong for years. We, uh, maybe not in the Industrial Revolution times, but we've been wrong for years ever since then. Our educational system values, for the most part, the acquisition of information. Okay, It values knowledge. We have a knowledge-driven educational system. And knowledge is no longer a valuable commodity because we can get it all through Google. Uh, we get too much, in fact. And so it's, I mean, it's not that we don't need to know things, but... Really, if you think about most of the things that you learned in school have no application immediately in your lives, okay? That doesn't mean they can't make your lives richer. It doesn't mean that, you know, a reading skill is exceptionally valuable. Of course it is. But it doesn't also mean that that book you read in seventh grade has had any impact in your life right now, okay? Knowledge is no longer a valuable commodity the way it used to be. Ideas are. And we have to change our educational system to work not on the acquisition of information, but on the development of ideas, new ideas, the kids' ideas. Uh, one of the things I always say is that we have confined our children to living in a world of ideas already created by others. They are learning the ideas other people have thought. Now, don't get me wrong, some of those ideas are very important. And if we're gonna to try to come to a new idea, we should know what the other ideas have been too, right? Other people thought of some great things already. Lots of things, more than we could ever know. But, but what we should be teaching kids to do is not live inside the world of other people's ideas, but to develop their own ideas. Because the problems that our kids are going to face aren't going to be solved by the ideas that already exist. If they were solved by the ideas that already exist, those problems wouldn't come into being. So we have to make that shift in our educational system. And the problem is here in the U.S., we're, we're slow to turn compared to other countries. We're way behind. So a few years ago, China announced that it was changing all of its major universities to focus on innovation and idea creation. Okay. Now, whether or not they're doing so very effectively is a different question, but at least they said they're making the turn. Okay. Singapore has said it's making the turn. Korea has said it's making the turn. India just said they're making the turn. 
okay, a number of other countries as well. U.S. hasn't said they're making the turn, right? They have some language, we have some language around it, but we have not committed the way other countries have to that paradigm shift and other countries are seeing it, which means that we're going to fall farther and farther behind them in com competing for jobs around the world uh, because, you know, it's an increasingly global job market. People are working from everywhere in the world now uh, for every company. So our children are going to be competing with people from all around the world for the same jobs, but we're going to be at disadvantages in terms of how we're educated for that. And obviously that's not great. You, you said it exactly the way I've been thinking and feeling about it because our kids are pressured to learn or to know more and more that is, is really designed to have them be able to perform on a test, right. you know, state testing. I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan, but what, but what we're cramming into their brains are things that are, 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 is information that is accessible to them. It is not like we need to cram it all in because we have Google, because we have resources that are easily accessible to everybody in the country. And yet we're putting, we're pushing them to know more by the time they get out of high school which is so perplexing to me when we have so many challenges ahead of us. Einstein said, he said back in his day, he said, why would you make kids memorize anything that's available in a book? So that's why we have the book. They can always go find that information. Why are we asking them to memorize this? It's an absurd premise to have to do. That's why we can write things down. I mean, there, obviously there's some things we need to know off the top of our heads, you know, in daily yeah. life, right? But, you know, in broad strokes about education, why are we doing that? What is being accomplished through that? And when we teach critical thinking and when I teach educators to teach critical thinking, we don't ever judge kids anymore on what they know. We judge them on the uh, how well they're presenting a thought of their own. Now, as long as it's logical, because obviously we can't embrace thoughts that are just patently illogical. So we have ways to examine that and test for that. But otherwise, we tell educators, we don't care if you think they're right. That's not what's important is whether or not you think they're right. Are they being logical? Yes. Okay. Are they making, you know, well-reasoned, a well-reasoned thought based on whatever information is available, based on the context and so forth. Whether you agree with it or not, that is totally irrelevant. And you know what that does? It not only frees up the educators, that's liberating for the students because they always feel like they're being judged. And they say, how can you judge us on your ideas? You're testing me on my opinion. That's not fair. But when they see the critical thinking, they understand that we are, what we're doing is evaluating them based on how well they are thinking and they know what we're looking at. And then they say, that's fair, right? I can see that I didn't, I didn't evaluate that as well as I could have. I could do more, explain that better, what I did there. I understand why you're seeing that. And everyone's happier because children don't mind not being successful at first, provided they see the path to doing so and that you're supporting them. So there's no, no problem with people working through these things. It's a matter of what we're valuing, what kind of comments we're making, and how we're assigning value to what they're doing. And as you said, what we're valuing now, the knowledge, the standardized testing, it isn't accomplishing anything for anybody. Yeah. You also, you used a word when you were talking about the U.S. compared to other countries, and it was further behind. It wasn't just behind, it was further behind. So, I, you know... What, where are we today? We're going to fall behind compared to where, where we're at today if we don't make a change culturally in the U.S. on, on this importance. But, but are we behind already? We're behind now. We've been behind for a very long time. Um, you know, the, it depends upon which countries you're talking about and which tests you're talking about. But it, whichever ones you're talking about, we're not doing well compared to other countries. Uh, in um, a test on problem solving in a technology rich environment, U.S. adolescents were 18th out of 19 countries studied. OK, so uh, and this was done in 2018, I believe. So, yeah, we are way behind. And now partly we're behind some other countries that are testing very well on certain tests that aren't necessarily critical thinking related. Well, on the critical thinking related tests, we're, we're really way behind everybody as well. And it's just because on the whole, again, our educational system is predicated entirely on the wrong premise. So, so no matter how much money we pump into this, into the new premise, 
doesn't really matter. And the same goes for universities, you know, so um, universities a while ago went through this big digital transformation and they spent billions. I, I forget what the number was. I think it was over a number of years, $60 billion on transforming classrooms into smart classrooms, smart boards and, you know, projectors and all these things and laptops for students and all this stuff, the big digital transformation. Did it improve outcomes? No, didn't improve outcomes at all, right? When training educators how to teach critical thinking costs almost nothing in comparison, but we haven't done that, right? Uh, because it's not as flashy, it's not as sexy to say that, you know, you can't bring the, the tour around to your classroom and say, look at all of our fancy equipment here and so forth, right? But the digital transformation did nothing for outcomes, if anything, it hurt it because, you know, social media really isn't positive for what we're doing intellectually. That's something I wanted to ask you as well is, is our exposure to social media, especially in our teens and middle schoolers, is it impacting our ability to think critically? Yes, and negatively. Uh, and it's not my opinion. There's plenty of research, ample research to this effect. So I'll, I'm going to answer it in two different ways, for example, and there's so many ways we could talk about this, but I'll answer it in two different ways. One problem is simply that the nature of online discourse, because it's truncated so much, doesn't allow for the development of critical thought, right? So there's nothing that anyone can communicate in a tweet that's going to be evolve deep, you know, deep reasoning process of any kind, because we're just limited in what we can say. It doesn't mean that the tweet itself might not say something smart or have a good idea, but there's no elaboration and justification. There's no thinking process. There's no interaction. There's no discourse. There's no dialogue around that. So it might be a smart idea, but we can't really explore and unpack the smartness of that idea in any way. But that's rare, right? Mostly it's just nonsense that's going back and forth and often hostile nonsense that's going back and forth because we're detached from each other and from emotion and we just need immediate gratifications from it, right? And, and that's literal, by the way. So when we get a, a little positive tweet, we get a little hit of dopamine that makes us happy, but we need more and more of that if we're going to keep being happy. So we need more likes and more likes and more likes or we don't get as happy as we did when we got a few likes a couple of years ago, right? So that's a real big problem for our brains. But there's something else that, that no one's talking about much that I think is very important. They've done studies. And what they've done studies on is they've, they've used mediated uh, lessons. So either learning through a computer with a bunch of people online in an online class, or bringing the computer to a classroom, working in a group, the same group of people that you would work with online, but working face-to-face, -face, but still working through your computers people still do better when they're in the room with other people. There's something about being physically with other people that turns our brains on in ways that they are not turned on no matter what when we are online. Now, that's probably something that's obvious to everybody who's hearing it, but it's nevertheless something that we really had to verify through research. And now the research is supporting that our brains do different things when we are physically around people than they do when we are not physically around people, even when we're trying to think about the same things. I think this is one reason why I think not too soon, but down the road, we're going to see businesses turn back to wanting to have people come into the office more often. Not every day like it used to be, not Monday through Friday, but more than just work from home entirely, because they're going to find that that ephemeral quality of having people working together is going to do something for their business that other businesses aren't going to achieve. It's, it is interesting. And I think you're right. Most people who are listening to this podcast right now inherently knew this or believed it, but didn't have data to back it up. I don't know that it's as, as clear to our kids, though, because they've grown up in a very different time and they have been online so much more out of necessity before in, in the pandemic. And now as we work ourselves out, it's technology has been so much more adopted. Social media is so much more prevalent that they think they're the same, I, I believe, in both places. And so I think it's dangerous for us not to share that knowledge far and wide. We need to recognize that it is not the same being in person and using technology as replacing in-person with technology. There are actually some studies that show that even kids are aware of the difference or that there is a difference, 
Where, and, but what they don't know is how to get around it anymore because kids just aren't getting together and doing yeah. this, right? And they don't know what to do about it. And they don't really know the power of the difference, but they do understand that there's something very different about being with my friends in person and being just talking to them online. They, can, they understand that conceptually. They don't know the dangers of the differences though. And that's obviously something where we have to come in and help them a lot and give them the opportunities to, you know, to get together, especially if you get friends who are getting together. Um, you know, if, if you are a parent who allows some screen time and I'm a parent who allows some screen time for my kid, you know, it's part of the way he socializes and, and has some fun and so forth. So within reason, you know, we're a very low screen time family, but we allow a little, uh, but certainly if he gets together with his friends, one of the things that we're always talking about with the other parents is no screen time then. Why are they, why are they doing something online together? Why don't they do something together together and save the online for when they're not with their friends and want to connect with their friends in some other way. Right. Yeah. So that's something we can do. It's something a lot of parents can do. It's not always possible for every parent all the time to do that. I understand, but that's something to think about and maybe work towards. Yeah. And it is something that I have seen the kids who spent, spend more of their, their time online, they don't know how to replace it with social activities. It's, you know, we, we do forget how to engage when we're not with other people much. So you'll go somewhere and you'll see the group of kids who are sitting next to each other all on their phones, but they're together. And you're like, well, what's the point? Right. Exactly. And they're still feeling some kind of good emotion from being from that quote unquote togetherness. Right. But it's not doing the same things for them if they just put the phones down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We could talk about that for, you know, a whole podcast, not just an episode because it's so important, but but I think you've still given us the understanding of how critical reasoning and how critical thinking can really help us as parents do a good job in helping our kids and also teach our kids how to create a successful life in a world that we don't know what it's going to look like 20 years from now, 10 years, five years from now. Can you tell us a little bit about the Critical Thinking Institute and your new program? Called Brighter Minds, Better Futures. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's very exciting for me. Uh, So what we've done is we actually have two programs launching at the Critical Thinking Institute that are available to parents now as they're hearing this. Uh, One is for adults and young adults. So if you have a child who's in college, they might like that program better. But I'll talk a little bit more since this is, we're talking about middle school girls here for the most part. I'll talk more about the younger one. uh, And that is Brighter Minds, Better Futures. It's a program that teaches critical thinking over the course of a year. Each episode is five to 10 minutes long. Not very long. We don't want a lot of screen time as we've been saying. So it's five to 10 minutes long. And it's an animated discussion between primarily a brain who's, you know, anthropomorphized and talking and has arms and legs and so forth, and a child. And the child's trying to learn critical thinking. And the child's able to also sort of raise some hard questions and push back at times and do some fun things. So, uh, and over the course of the year, they're learning deep critical thinking skills. Sounds very technical and advanced, but every step of the way, it's very simple. It's fun. Kids love watching it. We want to make it fun and enjoyable for them. But there's something else that they get too. If you're a family and you're doing your parents and you want to do this with your children, then there's also a clip from me every week. I'm sorry. (laughs) There's a clip from me every week that you can watch that tells you a little bit about the research behind that episode, why it's there, why we're doing what we're doing, and how you can help to support your child become an even stronger critical thinking in their daily life by, by reinforcing the lessons that we're giving in the program. There's another benefit as well, which is that honestly, the adults are going to learn just as much about critical thinking as the kids from the program as well, but they don't have to tell their kids that, right? (laughs) But nevertheless, you know, if if you're also interested in developing your critical thinking skills, you're going to get it, whether you like it or not, along the way for this program. And it's fun. So we have the adult program and we have this program for kids. And um, we strongly recommend that if adults are listening and maybe they don't have kids, which would be odd on your podcast, some adults still will like the cartoon version better. So if you're an adult who just likes cartoons, watch that one. They're really about the same curriculum, give or take. 
you know, looking at the information on the programs and on your website, I mean, you have some really strong backing. I want people to understand kind of the credibility of the program that you're putting together here. Yeah, we have a lot of other people from neuroscience institutes, uh, teaching institutes and so forth who are supporting what we're doing here because it's unique. Um, and I want to emphasize that, that this is, first of all, this everything we're doing here is science-based. None of this is Steve's you know, inclinations about what critical thinking should be. Uh, and none of it has anything in here that's controversial at all. It's all just about how to think, never about what to think, never about what to think, only about how. Okay. And so, but it's very scientific. It's all based on research. And that's really critical for me to explain to everybody, because I want you to understand that this is, this is something that's coming out of science for the kids. And it's something that backed by so many other people, and it's also very distinct from other sites that you'll find. And I should speak to this, I think, for just, for just a few seconds. If you go online, you can find two other kinds of websites around critical thinking. Okay? One of them you should never use. And that's brain games. All these little brain games for kids and so forth to teach them reasoning skills. Not based on my opinion, there was just a, a letter by about 70 neuroscientists talking about this that, that have concluded that Brain games do nothing to improve critical thinking skills in real life, okay? If, if you're learning to, you know, do this little brain game and it's fun, you'll become better at games like that. But in terms of making real life decisions, they have no impact on real critical thinking and real life decision making and problem solving. So, so it, there's nothing wrong with those. Just know what you're getting if you're going to go buy those. The second kind is you can go online, you can find some tips and tricks websites, so you can find websites that are going to say, you know, here's, here's a way to teach your kids logical fallacies and things like that, what a non sequitur is. Those are good. There's nothing wrong with learning those things, but not the same thing also as deep critical thinking training, mastering and understanding what the brain does and how to make the brain do it better, right? And that's really what we're about at the Critical Thinking Institute. Uh, the address is the ctinstitute.com. That's the ctinstitute.com, but that's really what we're trying to do there. And uh, it's a different kind of experience for kids. And most of them love it because who doesn't like thinking better? Who doesn't like feeling smarter and, and learning about what our brains do? It's actually much more interesting than a lot of what they're getting in school. Yeah. Well, I, I really enjoy this. And this is definitely something that we're going to look into for both of our kids because I think the, the other benefit is really that it's the umbrella of success, right? Like regardless of what path our kids take, this will help them succeed. It's not a, maybe they picked the right degree. Maybe they picked the right class. This will help all of our kids. And so I'm so grateful that you're putting this out there. And, and I do think it's important for people to understand the, the caliber of what you're putting together and that it is science-based. This is not a feeling. This is not a coaching program. This is true critical thinking education. That's correct. And and I should mention as well, parents are welcome to also hear me blather on weekly uh, or with other experts on my podcast, Parentology, uh, which where it's a very short episode every week and give you a little tip of something you can do with your kids to help uh, critical thinking and other things uh, every week, just about 10 minutes episodes at a time. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you so much for having me on. What a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Raising Middle School Girls podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more conversations with experts designed to help you support your middle school girl, please hit subscribe. You can also sign up for the newsletter at the link in the show notes to receive emails about tips and resources, upcoming events, and new podcast episodes, all designed to support you and your child.